Utah loves guns. Hey, freedom-loving Second Amendment patriots, are you feeling both scared of what might happen and juiced up by visions of armed response? No problem. Utah has just what you need, a concealed weapons permit that lets you carry your cool handgun in all 35 states where sudden terror may be rampant. That's right. The spirit of self-defense shouldn't stop at a state's borders. Carry your passive action blaster wherever thugs, aliens, and terrorists might threaten your way of life. Be an armed defender almost everywhere. We're waiting to help you right here at Utah's Bureau of Criminal Investigation.gun. It's easier than you think. I'm Skyping with Mike Backus down in Los Angeles. Uh, He is, um, amongst many other interesting things, which we can get into anon, on the board of directors of Cornerstone Research Collective, which is a truly state-of-the-art medical medical marijuana uh, dispensary there in L.A. And we talked earlier about the medical marijuana initiative there in California. And, of course, it's also happening in Oregon and Washington and how that may bring marijuana to a lot of people if it passes. Maybe yes, maybe no. But you're doing something that's going to make it a lot safer if you do come to marijuana under these circumstances. And that's the signal work you're doing with the um, Los Angeles City Council about uh, purity levels. Tell us all about it, Mike. Well, I mean, w- what it is is like with any with any uh, agricultural product, uh, uh, marijuana uh, uh, can be adulterated. And, yeah. uh, and just like there are pure food and drug acts in California and a lot of states, and of course the national... Uh, uh, purview that comes under the FDA. Um, what we're hoping to bring to California is a little bit more transparency and accountability as far as the purity of marijuana. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're testing it on a gas chromatography mass spectrometer system to uh, look for uh, any pesticide residues. Right. But also beyond that, we're actually uh, taking culture plates from the marijuana and incubating those and looking for traces of pathogenic molds. Um, actually, and what we're finding is, is that pathogenic molds are a lot more common than any pesticide residues. Most people know that they're, they're growing this marijuana for people, so they don't put poisons on them. But um, pathogenic molds are sneaky. They, uh, they can just uh, show up on uh, improperly cured uh, medical marijuana, and uh, they can pose a, a health threat to, uh, to patients who decide to use medical marijuana. So what we're doing is we're testing for those. And... Um, we think that it's just the same kind of oversight that you see, you know, when you go and get some organic produce from Whole Foods, that it's a, that it's a pure, uh, genuinely organic product. Well, what I like about it also, besides I think this is a, a fabulous approach, is that the fact that you're working with the city council means that they're actually – they're part of the process now. It's not a matter of whether it's legal or good. They're setting standards, and if you set standards, it becomes it becomes kind of an all right, regular, everyday thing, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's just part of the normalization of, of marijuana as medicine. I mean, um, you know, for a long time, uh, uh, because it's a Schedule One substance, uh, the thought was, well, it has no medicinal value, even though that flew in the face of five thousand years of practical experience in virtually every culture in the world. Um, that had, that grew marijuana, used it as a medicine. Um, what we're finally seeing now is is the recognition on the part of uh, politicians that you know this is a medicine. It is being used medicinally by a lot of people, and it's it should be subject to the same kind of oversight. And that process uh, ends up normalizing it. 
uh, within society. And I think that it's we've seen a lot of positive steps here in the last year or so. Well, that that's terrific, Mike. And I, and I really commend you on the work you're doing. We'll be back for more Light Up with Mike, but this, this is it for today. Uh, thanks again, Mike, and we'll be talking with you soon, okay? Thanks a lot, Peter. I think the gray lady is just as upset about this as I am. When the Deepwater Horizon drilling platform set off the worst oil spill at sea in American history, it was flying the flag of the Marshall Islands. Registering there allowed the rig's owner to significantly reduce its American taxes. The owner, Transocean, moved its corporate headquarters from Houston to the Cayman Islands in 1999 and then to Switzerland in 2008, maneuvers that also helped it avoid taxes. Tell you what. You want to drill, baby, drill in the U.S.? Then you better be flying the stars and stripes instead of some micronation with a population smaller than Akron, Ohio. At the same time, BP was reaping sizable tax benefits from leasing the rig, according to a letter sent in June to the Senate Finance Committee. The company used a tax break for the oil industry to write off 70% of the rent of this Deepwater Horizon rig, a deduction of more than $225,000 a day since the lease began, and somehow I feel it's coming out of my pocket. With federal officials now considering a new tax on petroleum production to pay for the cleanup, the industry is fighting the measure, warning that it will lead to job losses and higher gasoline prices, as well as an increased dependence on foreign oil, yada da yada da lie, lie, lie. But an examination of the American tax code indicates that oil production is among the most heavily subsidized businesses with tax breaks available at virtually every stage of the exploration and extraction process. According to the most recent study by the Congressional Budget Office released in 2005, capital investments like oil field leases and drilling equipment are taxed at an effective rate of, ready, 9%, significantly lower than the overall rate of 25% for businesses in general and lower than virtually any other industry. And for many small and mid-sized oil companies, the tax on capital investments is so low that it is more than eliminated by various credits. These companies' returns on those investments are often higher after taxes than before. I, I just don't get it. Well, I do get it. I mean, what, what I grew up in a, in, in a country where there was all the gasoline you could possibly think about. After World War II, the, the major war I experienced was the gas war. 19 cents a gallon. Come on in. Fill it up. Pour it on the ground. It's that cheap. And, and the way we kept it cheap, of course was by tax breaks and subsidies. Over in Europe, where they don't get damn tax breaks, gas is $8 a gallon, and cars are about the size of a postage stamp. Present. Present. God is absent because we are absent. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were present that would be such a present. The Daily Beast tells us that Fareed Zakaria criticized the Afghanistan war in unusually harsh terms on his CNN program, saying that the whole enterprise in Afghanistan feels disproportionate, a very expensive solution to what is turning out to be a small but real problem. His comments followed CIA Director Leon Panetta's admission last week that the number of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan may be down to just 50 to 100 members or even fewer. 
So if Al-Qaeda is down to 100 men there at the most, Zakaria asked, why are we fighting a major war? Zakaria noticed that the war is costing the U.S. a fortune in both blood and treasure. Last month alone, there were more than 100 NATO troops killed in Afghanistan. That's more than one allied death for every living al-Qaeda member in the country in just one month. He says the latest estimates are that the war in Afghanistan will cost more than $100 billion in 2010 alone. That's a billion dollars for every member of al-Qaeda thought to be living in Afghanistan in one year. To critics who suggest that we need to continue fighting the war against the Taliban because they are allied with al-Qaeda, Zakaria countered that this would be like fighting Italy in World War II after Hitler's regime had collapsed and Berlin was in flames just because Italy had been allied with Germany. That's a good one. Why are we investing so much time, energy, and effort when al-Qaeda is so weak, Zakaria concluded? Is there a more cost-effective way to keep al-Qaeda on the ropes than fight a major land and air war in Afghanistan? I hope someone in Washington is thinking about this and not simply saying we're going to stay the course because, well, we must stay the course. I'd like to mention one thing, Farid, it's not a war. It is an occupation. We are not fighting an army. We are fighting insurgents, whoever they are. You know, it's Taliban, it's Al-Qaeda. It's, we're, we're being shot at by our allies, so-called. The warlords are killing us if we won't pay Bakshish. No, it's not a war. It's an occupation, and it's an occupation that ain't working. Yeah, I think you can actually call it a drug war. Uh, according to CNN, I think it qualifies, right? Because a fully functional submarine built for the primary purpose of transporting massive amounts of cocaine has been seized by Ecuadorian authorities with the help of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agents. It's a full-on submarine. Boy, that's a lot of torpedoes full of torpedoes, oh, man. Oh, man. This is the first seizure of a clandestinely constructed, fully operational submarine built to facilitate transoceanic drug trafficking, the DEA administration said in a statement. Wait a minute. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, yeah, of course it is. Uh, the vessel utilized twin screws and was diesel electric power. The agency said it was about 98 feet long and nearly nine feet high. Yeah, I know that one. I used to be captain of that no, in but this is, type, you know? no, this is maybe, but this is yeah. built to that one because this yeah. is brand new. Right? Brand new. It has a, para, it has a periscope and it's air conditioned. All right, this is the real thing. Now, Does it have women on board? You well, know, we couldn't have that in the old days, but now I understand you can have women no, on board. No, they gave them dust boot. You just uh, can't have it. So, no. Traffickers historically employed slow-moving fishing boats, uh, sailboats, pleasure craft, go fast, said Jay Bergman, Andean regional director for the agency no right uh, no part of my family no the advent of the narco submarine presents new detection challenges for maritime interdiction forces you can tell these dea guys are excited oh, chasing yeah. subs instead of rickety old fishing boats is real boys adventure yeah, that's the stuff ping yeah ping, right a ping. cocaine sub uh, for 4 14 16 off the bow do i have uh, uh, i want to fire the submarine's nautical range, this is Bergman speaking again, what a guy, payload capacity, wait a minute, pale, are we talking torpedoes or, you know, or, yes. or, 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 or you know, uh, hot shots, um, uh, payload capacity and quantum leap in stealth have raised the stakes for the counter-drug forces and the national security community alike. 
said Bergman. Boy, he, he really puts a lot together in one mouthful. There's a lot. Yeah. Now, yeah, okay. Now, the submarine was constructed in a remote jungle environment in an effort to elude law enforcement or military interdiction, the agency said. So there is a submarine factory somewhere in the jungle. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Argentina. I've been living there for 75 years. Uh, You've been living in a submarine. Yeah, it's a submarine. The one you came in, you never got out because no, they wouldn't give you a passport. They got a nice little place for me to dock. That's it. Go ahead. All right, doc. And I, I don't like the kind of doctoring you used to do, but you're doc now. <laughs> More cocaine in the news. Why it's hard? Uh, why it's hard nowadays? In fact, to find a rolled-up newspaper that doesn't have something about cocaine in it, right? Okay, a replica. How about a rolled-up twenty? Oh yeah, right. Remember when they found that almost all rolled-up twenties had some cocaine residue on them? Yeah, when they went to pulp the old money, they just were high as guys. A replica of yeah. a World Cup trophy seized by Colombian authorities at the Bogota airport was made of cocaine. Police said. Gold paint in bad condition on the trophy surface aroused the suspicion of investigators who sent a sample of the trophy to a laboratory for forensic testing. Results revealed that the replica was made of 24 pounds of cocaine. Now, that's a trophy worth winning. 